Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Welcome and thank you for joining us today. The next two hours are devoted to learning something more, not just about the world of shoes and ships and sealing wax, but about how, what, and why we believe as we do. A time for the open-minded, willing to challenge some of those old ideas behind what we think we know, who we are, and who we might just become. I'm Eldon Taylor, and this is Provocative Enlightenment. All right, our chat room is open, and my partner, Ravinder, awaits you there now. You can log on by going to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. We have a special chat room, so Ravinder, tell us all about it, please. We have a very special chat room because we have an amazing group of people, and we would love to see you in there, too. The conversation is always exciting and fun and very enlightening, so do come join us at provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. All right, in today's spotlight, we turn our attention to some freedoms that may not be freedoms after all, or perhaps any longer. There was a video on YouTube this past week that caught my attention. An Illinois police officer, arbitrarily stopping a driver at a checkpoint, insisted that travel was not a right, but rather a privilege. The driver, Ryan Scott, had a dash cam recording the entire event. When you watch this video, you quickly understand how it only takes one cop to contaminate your opinion of all members of law enforcement. So let's think for a moment of our natural rights. Defined by the online business dictionary, natural rights are, quote, fundamental human rights based on universal natural law, as opposed to those based on man-made positive law. Although there is no unanimity as to which right is natural and which is not, the widely held view is that nature endows every human without any distinction of time or space and without any regard to age, gender, nationality, or race with certain inalienable rights, such as the right to life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, which cannot be abrogated or interfered with by any government. And that... Whether or not these rights are enshrined in a national code, a legal code, no government is lawful if it fails to uphold them. Close quote. So a natural right need not be defined by a bill of rights or a constitution in order for it to be a right. Right? Well, perhaps not. Think of your right to travel. Is that a right? I mean... Say you want to drive from D.C. to Seattle. Do you have that right? Maybe you just want to drive from your home to work. Is that your right? Well, it may surprise you, but the answer is somewhere between it depends and no. When you obtain your driver's license, you acknowledge that it is not a right, but rather a privilege to drive on state or federal highways. Now you need a driver's license before you can operate a vehicle, so it appears that the use of those highways that your tax dollars fund is contingent and certainly not a right, but rather a privilege. Indeed, you may need much more than a driver's license. Depending on the state you reside in, you may also need vehicle inspection, accident insurance, vehicle registration, etc. and so forth. Does that seem right to you? It may surprise you, but the freedom to travel was considered to be so essential that the Magna Carta spelled it out in Article 42 in the year 1215. 
Now, there are a few modern court cases that have decided in favor of your right to travel. For example, quoting lawfulpath.com, quote, If ever a judge understood the public's right to use the public roads, it was Justice Tolman of the Supreme Court of the State of Washington. Justice Tolman stated, Complete freedom of the highways is so old and well-established a blessing that we have forgotten the days of the robber barons and toll roads. And yet, under an act like this, arbitrarily administered, the highways may be completely monopolized. If, through lack of interest, the people submit, then they may look to see the most sacred of their liberties taken from them one by one, more or less rapid encroachment. Close quote. Now, Judge Tolman was concerned about the state limiting or prohibiting the free movement of citizens. Unfortunately, today there are jurisdictions in America where law enforcement has taken a different view to that of Judge Tolman. Your right to be on the highway is not a right, but a privilege, and that can extend to pedestrians as well. So your right to travel is what? Well, it's not a right at all today. The fact is, when you review the rights guaranteed by that old document called the Magna Carta, you will discover that many of them have been breached. Thoughts on this one, Ravinder? Oh, once again, it just tells you you have to pay attention. I did decide, though, if ever I became president, which isn't too awful likely, (laughs) but if ever I did, I would have a secretary of getting rid of stupid laws. You know, there are so many laws on the book and restrictions, and I think we're getting bogged down with it. And then people forget about them, and, and they think it doesn't matter because they haven't been enforced in so long. But it wraps around and catches us time and time again. Amen. All right. Well, we took on one right today for what it's worth. I could have taken on very Uh many more. So, all right. Every week I read some of your letters as our way of recognizing the very important role you play in making this show successful. Last week our guest was Terry McBride, and we discussed his wonderful book, The Hell I Can't. Mark wrote, I find Terry McBride's personal journey from the serious health issues he suffered during his youth, the fully restored health in the face of seemingly impossible odds to be truly amazing and inspirational. He said that at one point along his healing journey, a well-meaning individual had prayed and meditated on his condition and mentioned that it was God's will that he remain in a wheelchair as an example for those who suffer. Terry described how that message had stirred up conflict in his mind about whether it was really God's will for him to remain in a wheelchair, or to fully walk again. After much introspection, he chose to walk again, despite the fear and self-doubt that must have resulted from his decision. In hindsight, we can see that his decision was correct. As someone who is now able to walk, no doubt he is a greater example and inspiration to those who suffer than if he had remained in the wheelchair. CB remarked, Quoting our guest, wow, the purpose of prayer is to change belief. You don't get that answer from religious experts. Richard commented, it seems like the new game of being human is one of managing your subconscious. Frank wrote, hi, love your series. As I'm in Australia, I'm unable to listen live, so I play the podcast via iTunes. Recently, I kept wondering why the podcast haven't been updated since 3rd September, thinking you're on a break. 
Then on your website, I noticed two new programs in September, so it appears there's a broken link to your program and iTunes. Or is there an alternative explanation? Anyhow, listen to the new programs, and as always, great radio, and keep up the good work. Well, thanks, Frank. And uh, we did some checking. It seems that the problem is on our end, or was on our end. We sort of dropped the ball when we moved some staff assignments around, but we have figured that all out now, and the regular podcasts will begin once again. Isn't that right, Ravinder? That is correct. Yes, I dropped that silly little ball, but I have fixed it all now, and everything is working beautifully. Okay. Thanks for letting (laughs) us know, Frank. Janet wrote, I absolutely love your creativity, your show, your books, your CDs, and I just discovered how you do it. You must <laughs> you must use your own creativity CD. So I bought one for myself today. <laughs> well, good for you, Janet. I'll watch for you on the Times bestseller list. Shelley wrote, I want to say I love your CDs. I listen to them all the time, and I have many. Reverend Powers wrote, I purchased Eldon Taylor's I Believe book, and therein was an accompanying CD, which I listen to daily during devotions. Well, thank you, Reverend. Emery wrote, Your book, Choices and Illusions, changed my life. I now know what I want out of life and where I am going. Thank you so very much. And thank you, Emery. appreciate your words of support. Linda wrote, I just watched and listened to Quantum Younging Entrainment DVD for the first time. What fun. I found myself dance, bouncing my leg and smiling and even giggling a little. I have the CD, but the DVD feels very different. Love it. Lately, I've been listening to your Begin Anew, Freedom from Technophobia, Quantum Younging, Using Both Halves of the Brain, Brain Heart Coherence, and others. I listen to something every day. They do make a difference. My age number, that's what my granddaughters call it, may be 66 plus, but honestly, I do feel a certain youthfulness. I know InterTalk is a part of that, a big part. Thanks. Well, you're more than welcome, Linda, and I'm certain that by the standards most applied to age numbers, you are much younger. I use quantum younging all the time, and my teenage son's friends take me at almost 20 years younger than my so-called age number. I can live with that, huh, Rav? (laughs) All right, that's all the time we're going to take for letters today, but I do invite you to opine by sending your comments to Eldon at EldonTaylor.com or by joining me on Facebook. Now to this week's show, The Gentle Way of the Heart. When you think of your heart, what comes to your mind? Is it the origin, the organ, I should say, pumping life, supporting blood throughout your body? Or is it the seat of emotion or the cathedral of your soul or the center of intuition or the bench from which your conscience speaks? Or perhaps it's all of these things, the mythical and the anatomical rolled into one. You have heard me many times address the importance of mind. The Buddha said you are what you think. Your destiny is written in your thoughts. I have often referred to our ability to think in this way. Mind as healer, mind as slayer. However, Clifton Fadiman once said, and God plagued man with the ability to think. Is that so? Many would say yes. We should live more fully from our feelings and not our head. And yet, the hard data shows us that 90% or more of our behavior is determined in our subconscious. Old System 1 thinking runs the show while our conscious mind only thinks it's in charge, often making up reasons, justifications, and such for why we do what we do. So the question, is it the heart or the mind? Now, Native American culture says it's both. 
It's only when the heart and the mind are aligned that we can think of ourselves as awakening to who we really are and what we are here for. Can that be true? To ancient Egyptians, the heart was the seat of emotion, thought, will, and intention. Egyptian mythology states that after death, your heart is taken to the Hall of Mott, the goddess of justice. There your heart is weighed against the feather of Mott. If your heart is lighter than the feather, you join Osiris in the afterlife. If you fail the test on the scales, then the demon Amit eats your heart and your soul vanishes from existence. Indeed, here the heart was thought of of being the seat of the mind. In ancient Greek and Byzantine medical literature, we find cannibal behaviors for the possession and eating of the defeated enemy's hearts, since the heart was the center of courage and strength. The Bible is anything but silent on the matter. In Matthew 6 and 21, we find, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In Proverbs 3 and 5, we read, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In Psalms 73 and 26, we read, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Psalm 34 and 18 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. And Psalm 37 and 4 states, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, I don't know about you, but that really doesn't clear much up for me, especially when I also read in Romans 12 and 2, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Close quote. Now the heart is where sadness arises for many traditions. Even today, it's not uncommon for a physician to justify the death of someone on the basis of a broken heart. My mother passed away in her early 60s and right behind the death of my father. And this was said to be in part due to a broken heart. I could go on with many other traditions, but this exercise will lead us only to more questions. So what is the heart to you? Our guest today suggests that it is the heart through which we find the light within. Now this might be a rather expected approach, and not so unique at all if it were from the typical metaphysical teacher. We would expect them to be long on theory, short on evidence, but tell us the things we want to hear, like love is all there is, so the message would be our pablum. Today's guest is different. Both a renowned physics and chemistry researcher at Stanford University and a spiritual teacher, today's guest is truly a unique contributor to anyone serious about a spiritual path. Writer-producer of Through the Wormhole with Morgan Freeman says this about our guesswork. Truth-seekers are increasingly looking to frontiers of scientific knowledge for physical evidence of spiritual convictions. They inevitably come up empty-handed. Here, a master of physics and chemistry takes an unexpected approach. Spiritual truth exists exclusively inside our emotional selves. Close quote. All right, what's that mean? Do we have but another form of cultural relativity, yet another notion of many personal truths and no one truth, or what? I mean, let's find out, but first, let me tell you about today's guest. Professor Anders Nilsson has been active in academia all of his adult life, and for just as many years, 
Nilsson has pursued an avid interest in spirituality. He has not followed anyone's spiritual school or tradition, nor has he studied with a guru, but instead listened to his internal voice and intuition to guide him. He studied both ancient mystical traditions and the teachings from more contemporary spiritual masters. This blend of spiritual knowledge, when folded together with his scientific background, has formed a unique path to spiritual awakening that combines the mind and heart. Nilsson's ex- Nilsson experienced, I'm, I'm quoting his paper, his, his work here, Nilsson experienced a spiritual awakening in 1993 that completely changed his life and view of the world. The awakening was a result of an emotionally difficult life passage that led him to intense soul-searching and ultimately to developing the gentle way of transformation. He has taught the gentle way in numerous workshops since 2000 and is the author of the engaging book, The Gentle Way of the Heart, and it is a truly great read. So on that, let's get him in here. Welcome to Provocative Enlightenment, Professor Anders Nilsson. Hello, I'm, I'm very honored to be on your show today, uh, Dr. Taylor. So I'm, I'm, I'm um, very excited about it and, um, uh, and also to, to tell about um, my book and, and my own uh, spiritual conviction and uh, my own approach to life. Well, that's great, because, I mean, I'm excited about it, and please, I'm Eldon on this show, so we generally like to get at least three objectives accomplished with our guests, Professor, Uh, and they are, who is the messenger, what is the message, and, you know, how do we use it? So to begin with, sir, please tell us a little bit about your background. I mean, what was, you know, what was school like for you? Were you popular? What was your childhood like? Were you raised in a religious family? You know, and how did you get on with the family and so forth? I was, uh, I think, a quite a normal child, if I if I speak to that. Although I was often, as a very young boy, asking uh, very very philosophical questions to my to my parents or to my surrounding, without actually getting any answers. And I I, I have recently started to remember some of these inquiries I actually did as a very very young child. Um, but at that time, many uh, in our society, we didn't really discuss these questions. Uh, and I was not raised in a, in a, in a strongly religious family, or, although I went through the, the confirmation and so on in the church, like most uh, children will do. And I, I remember, recall particularly that I had a lot of deep conversations with, with the priest and so on, because I was really asking very basic questions. Uh, in regard to to, to religious practice, um, but then as um, as uh, as I study at universities and so on, and really became very fascinated by science, um, I uh, really thought that science can really describe everything, describe the world, um, and I believe that very strongly. Um, but then, as I actually had my spiritual awakening. I sort of be, began to realize that there is much more to life or much more to understand or view, uh, particularly who, who we are and where we come from and uh, what is the purpose of things and so on, uh, that actually science cannot answer. Uh, and that was very much how my spiritual quest got started, um, where I view, so to speak, science and spirituality very much to be complementary to each other. Uh, not in opposition, or, or, but they are complementary. And of course, eventually everything is one, 
but at this time, I, I would more view them as, as complementary. Um, so it's the last 20 years of my life I have been living, um, le- let's say, both as a scientist, as a spiritual teacher. I've been keeping them aside, and, and, uh, and sometimes it's a, it's a quite interesting process for me that I, I often, some, uh, it's challenging for me being in my scientific uh, surrounding to even d- discuss spirituality. It's a little bit I have two sides within myself, exactly. uh, and I have to sort of transform a little. It takes a little time to go from one side to the other side <laughs> to talk about spiritual matter or, or, or being the, the scientist, uh, Anders, so to speak. Um, so okay. it's, I'm... I'm you can say I'm two in one, but of course I'm really only one. I, I actually relate to what you just said, but that's okay. Let's let's do this. Let's keep you the scientist for a second, because when I was doing the homework here and, and reading your delightful book, you I, I discovered some work that you're doing on water, and uh, I was really taken by that. Um, there's a lot of conversation about water, and I'll get to that in a minute, but... You know, what do you mean when you state that water is a mystery exhibiting many strange properties that are still not understood, such as why the liquid has an unusually large capacity to store heat and so forth? Tell us a little bit about water, because I'm going to then ask you, and I'm, I'm queuing this up a bit, um, but I'm then going to ask you about a Professor Emoto who tells us water. I know. Yeah, I know. Okay, good. So tell us from the science perspective. About yeah, water, I mean, please. water water is um, is a completely uh, fascinating substance. Uh, we all know that water is very important for us. Uh, no life without water. We are, as a human being, uh, mostly water. But what most people don't know is that water actually has these unusual properties. Uh, it's called an, an anomalous properties. Um, so if you will take a, a normal liquid, that we could be alcohol, oil, uh, acetone or any liquid and you will look at these how, how the properties of the liquid is in terms of how you change the temperature uh, how you maybe apply pressure to it how it responds how it changes and so on uh, you can put nearly all the liquids in one basket they behave they behave similarly and then water doesn't fit into that basket it actually behaves differently and, and one of the most common things that everybody can do at home is just to t- make a glass of ice water. And you will notice that ice floats. A solid should be more dense than the liquid, but the water is the other, one, the other way around. Ice floats. And as you have your ice water, you can put a thermometer in the glass and you can measure the temperature at the bottom of the glass and it will always be 4 degrees Celsius. Um, and uh, Celsius is around uh, 38 Fahrenheit, something like that. Um, and it's because water has a density maximum. And, and if you then uh, cool water down below 4 degrees Celsius, you can even cool water below freezing and still keep it in the liquid phase. Um, as you cool water down further, a normal liquid would contract. As you cool things, it contracts. But as, wa- as you cool water further down, it actually expands. It's very, very strange. Um, so altogether, water has 
up to 65 of these anomalies where it behaves simply differently. And it, just these two examples with ice floating and, and, and what's called the density maximum, uh, that water is so unusual, is actually allowed life to evolve in, in, in the oceans. If water would be like a normal liquid, life couldn't have evolved. It's simply that uh, the ice crust that floats of the ocean protected the ocean during the ice time, and also that with the density maximum at the bottom of the ocean will always be 4 degrees Celsius, and if it will become cooler, it will float up, because then it's less dense. Okay, I'm going to ask you to hold it right there, Dr. Nelson. We have a hard break coming. I don't want the computers to kick us out. We'll pick that up when we come back. We're speaking with Professor Anders Nilsson about his delightful book, The Gentle Way of the Heart. You can learn more about him and his professional work by visiting ProvocativeEnlightenment.com. We have all of the links there. Check him out at Stanford.edu, Nilsson Group, or you can check out Warwick Associates, his publicist, where you'll find more on the book. Remember to join Ravinder and her team in the chat room. You can do that by going again to ProvocativeEnlightenment.com. Do stay tuned. We don't, you don't want to miss what's coming up after a few words from our sponsors. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment with Elton Taylor. What is one thing you wish you could change about yourself? What if you could make that change happen with the click of a button? With Intertalk, Eldon Taylor's patented and scientifically proven and effective technology, change begins to happen the moment you hit play. Intertalk works by priming how you talk to yourself and when your inner self-talk aligns with your outer goals. Anything becomes possible. Visit www.intertalk.com to find your towel today. Thank you for joining us today. I will be presenting at the Hay House I Can Do It conference in Pasadena on October 25th. And I would love for you to join me. The I Can Do It conferences are always worth attending, and many of your favorite authors will be there as well. So plan to make a weekend out of it and reserve your tickets today by going to hayhouse.com. I Can Do It 2014 Pasadena. I look forward to meeting you in person. We were all ensconced in the incredibly mellifluous sounds of the waterless crystal music glasses. Now you can own this music for yourself. Bruce and Sandy Tweedy have created two wonderful CDs. Visit their site and get your copies today. Just go to brucetweedy.com. That's B-R-U-C-E-T-W-E-E-D-Y.com. Brucetweedy.com. If you're new to this show, you may enjoy our archives. You can find more than five years of archives at our site, ProvocativeEnlightenment.com. During that time, we have interviewed Hollywood greats, politicians, psychics, CIA personnel, hard scientists, religious leaders, skeptics, mathematicians, philosophers, social psychologists, best-selling authors, channels, mediums, and more. We have charted the waters of health and wellness, parapsychology, psychic phenomena, UFOs, NDEs, physics, psychology, criminology, neuromarketing, brainwashing, and still more. If any of that sounds like your kind of radio, check out our archives again at ProvocativeEnlightenment.com. Be sure to subscribe to our free newsletter while you're there. It's not your fault until you know better. 
self-defeating, self-sabotaging thoughts can be eliminated. It may be difficult to accept, but the fact is, magnetic resonance imaging shows us that your subconscious mind makes almost all of your decisions, while your conscious mind makes up reasons to explain your choices. In order to rid yourself of those self-defeating thoughts and ideas, the fear and doubt that can hold you back, you must change the way you talk to yourself. Nothing does this faster or better than our patented InnerTalk technology. Scientifically proven effective in the most rigorous of scientific studies, InnerTalk has repeatedly been demonstrated effective. Change has never been easier. Now you can improve your life almost automatically by rewriting the scripts hidden away in your subconscious. Guaranteed to work. No reason to wait. So don't delay. Go to InnerTalk.com today. Hello again. Think for a moment on the tragic injuries so many of our servicemen and women suffer as they battle insurgents and terrorists in current world conflicts. We may all wish that there were no conflicts in the world, no one intent on doing us harm, but the reality is that our brave men and women risk life and limb to ensure that we can go on with our lives just as normal here at home. These brave ones have offered their all for us, and their selfless spirit inspires me to ask everyone to give themselves. I'm speaking of the Wounded Warrior Project. Ravinder and I support this great cause, and we would urge you to do the same. Your small gift can make a huge difference. You can make that tax-free donation by going to woundedwarriorproject.org. Thank you. Whether you catch our show on CTR or 12radio.com or bto.net and or bbs.com, we want you to know that we appreciate you. Thank you for listening. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor.
Welcome back. If you thought you were in heaven, you were close. If you're just joining us, we're speaking with Professor Anders Nilsson about his take on the meaning of life and his delightful book, The Gentle Way of the Heart. You can find his book at all major booksellers, as well as online, so if you're hearing this show, you are only a click or two away from getting your own copy. It is a great book. Now, we ask our guests for up to three songs, songs that have some special significance to them. Music does elicit memories, often calling on deeply emotional feelings, and in many ways, our favorite music can say a whole lot about who we are. So now, we just played Samuel Barber, Adagio for Strings. Why is this one special to you, Professor, and how does it tell us about whom you are? special for me because I, I I used to have a small gathering in my house uh, many years ago uh, where, uh, where we will meet together and I will do actually some meditations and, and healing work and we usually were sitting together a little bit quiet and, and we always I always play this this particular piece of music. No and, wonder I and, felt and, like I was in heaven, huh? Yes, and everybody could sort of let go of the day uh, and, and, and just uh, sink in and, um, and relax. It was a beautiful and open piece their of heart. music. Before the break, Professor, uh, you, uh, you just told us about there were 65 anomalous properties to water, and were it different, there would be no life on Earth. And I had to cut you off, so if you've got something there to finish, please do. I think I was pretty much... Uh, 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 summarize. I can give a very long lecture on this topic, um, but I just wanted to, to to tell everybody that that water is something very unique and 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 uh, and also so important for us. So it's I find it absolutely fascinating, and and some of my research is about actually to to find out what, what is the molecular properties, how the water molecules are connected together, and what's happening in the liquid that actually make water to behave like this. And um, so it is, uh, therefore also, I use it a lot in my book as a metaphor to explain a few things, as you mentioned, uh, because I find it to be, water is so beautiful. In the lectures for everybody out there are on YouTube, and there's there's a short one. Uh, I think it's about a half an hour. And then there's a long one. It's nearly two hours, and I found them both just, you know, I was enchanted by your delivery as well as by the information. So now let me ask you a, a more provocative question while we're on water. Masaru Emoto, um, you know, tells us that water stores thoughts. It, in fact, you know, it can somehow even read words. Um, he gives a great deal of of uh, metaphysical properties to water. When I first saw his initial work, you know, I wanted, I, I, just honestly, I wanted to believe it. But then the research that I did behind that and the people I talked to and how crystals form, etc., uh, they they considered it to, to be at best. Uh, you know, he's picking and choosing, and at worst, just pure rubbish. All right. So instead of cherry picking or dealing it with rubbish, what's your take on it, Professor Nelson? I I, I, I would say that uh, Motors' work is it's very beautiful. I consider it a little bit more like a an art. Um, 
he is, he, it's not a scientific approach uh, because, it's, as you said, uh, he is not showing a representation of hundreds of crystals crystallized, let's say, uh, from, from a water sample like this and showing the distribution. Of course, he's picking one to illustrate his point. So it's a beautiful, uh, I think, illustration, I would say, more that we need to, to be aware of water in the world. And we need to, we need to think about uh, the water we drink, uh, the water we interact with, and also how we are polluting the water in the world, because he's showing that certain water sample in what he think is bad water gives very ugly crystals, and what we might think is a, is a, is a very nice water or very clean water or loving water for that sake, yeah, he, he shows very, um, very beautiful crystals. But it's more, I would say, an illustration of his own conviction than than a scientific approach. What he's doing, and but the importance of his work is really to make people aware of water on on a different level, and and we're also reaching out a lot of people uh, to to become interested in, in in water. So I think he's he's doing a very good thing with that. Uh, when it comes to the metaphysical of water. I can only say, which I actually said also on this TV show uh, through the wormhole, that from a scientific point, many of these questions we cannot say yes or no because we simply don't know. I know many of my scientists would um, immediately dismiss many of the metaphysical claims about water, but I would say that as a scientist, I cannot say yes. Well, no, because we don't have the tools to address any of these issues. As simple as it is, we actually are pretty much on a very coarse end of, of, of looking at water um, at much more, let's say, fundamental aspect of it where we are today than even starting to ask these more subtle questions. And, and I hope that we will see in the next 10, 20, 30 years maybe the development or refinement of experimental tools where we actually might start to, to address this. But I might, if I have, just tell a little story, Please. one of my own experience. Yeah. Please do. Uh, uh, it was after I, I finished a spiritual workshop and, uh, and in a very beautiful location outside Stockholm in the archipelago. And, and um, I usually stay an extra night and on the morning, on the Monday morning, I went for a swim in the ocean and it was very cold. I liked sometimes to swim in the cold water because you have to really um, a little bit <laughs> meet your fear by doing that. And I did that and I discovered the light. And as I was uh, swimming out, it was a cloudy day and, uh, and suddenly the clouds opened and the sun was shining down on me. And I could then hear a voice within that said, I am everything. I am everywhere. But... I will reveal my true nature for humanity first through water. Wow. Wow. All right. Let's, I mean, you, you've set this up very well. Uh, you're a scientist and you're a meta scientist. I guess that's what I'm going to say for the minute is spiritual. But science. I keep them separate. And I understand that. So what I'm going to ask you now is, you know, share with us, if you will, your spiritual awakening. I mean, just exactly what happened and and how did that move you from the traditional scientific view that you indicated earlier that's so mechanistic in its nature? 
Yes. So what happened to me was that I I, I was in a mess um, in many different ways. I, I, I had relationship problems. I had allowed people to walk on me. I didn't stand up for myself. Um, so I really started to, to address this and went into therapy. And, and I went to someone who also did more alternatives. So I actually started to doing meditation and, um, and also what's called breath work with that person. Uh, and things happened very rapidly for me. I, 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 I got a, a different sense within myself. Uh, it was like open another door uh, and it, and it evolved not immediately, but step by step during actually a couple of, around three months period of time, uh, where I, I suddenly started to, to think very differently about everything. And I, and I started to approach also my scientific work differently. Um, I started to listen more of what was coming in, in within myself also as working as a scientist, which I actually do more today. And I, and I think most scientists that actually are successful are doing that. Um, it's called, we often call it the word intuition. Uh, but as I had that uh, spiritual awakening, um, it was, let's put it in this way, it was like I grounded myself uh, much more. I brought down some other aspect, much deeper aspect of myself, and it gave gave a very different sensation of being me than what I had before. And I developed this warmth that I can feel in my chest. Uh, I could be much more in peace, um, and uh, I and my life yes dramatically changed. I also changed a lot of my friends. Um, it's, it, it's not that I. I dislike my friends. It was just that um, I, I developed new type of friendships with people and I actually moved to California more or less one year after that event. I, I became a visiting scientist in Berkeley where of course this was unfolding even more rapidly as I was coming to California. Um, so all of these things uh, happened uh, during, during, this, uh, during this time period and it's even difficult for me to remember or even think back how I felt about myself before this. It's like uh, it's, it's a little bit foggy. It's like I was living in a fog um, and suddenly I, my, my eyes opened and I, I started to look, look at things more clearly. I also noticed that how I looked at people, how I looked at myself and so on, just simply changed and, and, and I could see people more clearly uh, it's, it's also interesting how I interact by suddenly start to look really people into the eyes and as I speak with someone I try to get the sense of who they are on the inside not the, not the mask they put up but more connecting deeply into who they are uh, by actually looking into their eyes uh, which I didn't do before I was probably more looking down to the ground <laughs> instead <laughs> being very shy and, and so on um, so it was really a dramatic change for me. You you say in your book, I'm on page 35, the gentle way of the heart is to be aware that you don't need to be perfect. Instead, you are on an excursion to know, to feel, and to experience more of yourself. I think that beautifully says um, what most of us would like to think a spiritual awakening is. But now I've got to, I've got to ask you this. You also say in your book on page 31, 
that responding to aggression is uh, not a good practice. Let's see. I'll get the quote here. Uh, if someone slaps you on the cheek, turn to him also the other. That's what Jesus said. Resist no evil. Uh, resist no evil. Here's my question. Your work suggests that more than ever we have a desperate need of harmony and human connection. When you say this, are you addressing issues like ISIS or ISIL, Syria, Iraq, the politics of the world? Are you thinking more locally as on a personal level? I think I think we should uh, look at this in, 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 let's say, both of them. Um, but mostly this is about how we interact in our daily life uh, because we are, of course, not facing any, most of us are not facing uh, ISIS or what's happening in Syria in our daily life. We are facing our, our co-workers, our family members, people we meet on the street and so on. And that is how we are usually interacting. And, and what very much my message is, which I also believe actually was the original message of also Jesus, uh, is, is what I, what I very much uh, develop or, or expand on in the book, what I call the true self. We, we need to find who we truly are on the inside, uh, or actually who we truly are, the true self, which is actually our, our divine spark within ourselves. And when we respond to someone, we should respond from our true self towards the true self of another person. And then we have, on the contrary, we have what I call the false self, which some people might call the egoistic self, which is often something that has been split off from us because we had a fearful reaction or we have been in pain. And, and that is when we lose our awareness of the present moment. We are stressed, we are worried, and so on. And, 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 and usually when someone is showing aggression, it's coming from their false self. So... If we respond to aggression or, or someone is not kind to us or doing something foolish to us, if we respond by going into our false self, we will respond to the other person's false self. And then we will spiral away downwards, so to speak, by uh, increasing aggressions, by, by connecting false self with false self. But if we instead connect with true self towards the other true self, we are more actually expanding love, forgiveness, and so on. And this is I, what I think is actually turning the other cheek and resist no evil, is to re really look at another person as they are acting in a certain way, as they are not knowing what they are doing. They are acting from their false self. And we don't respond to it, we respond to actually their true self, to their own divine spark. When it comes to ISIS and, and all the things that happens in the world, um, I think what we need to do is simply keep our hearts open and really having a compassion to all the people uh, that are encountering difficulties in the world. Uh, that is uh, what in my view, we should do. And of course, if any of these things are, or we can sort of help people, we should do whatever we can from a compassion point of view, help people. Um, how we then as a country or, or as a nation respond 
to to uh, to any of these um, movements. It's of course a very very tricky question and 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 can have a severe uh, political implications. But my my um, philosophy is that we should respond to it with the least possible ag- aggression, but at the same time be aware of that sometimes we have to defend ourselves or take certain steps in order to limit the amount of aggressions that is, uh, of course, um, expressed in the world. But we should always look at the point where we are coming from this open heart with compassion to the world. That is where we need to um, have our perspective, so to speak. Finding that balance now that could be tricky. And I, you yeah. know, I for years was involved in law enforcement, and my studio where I'm talking to you from right this minute is uh, uh, maybe a half a dozen clicks away from uh, an Air Force base. Uh, and you know, whenever we get active, we start seeing the refuelers just flying over, and in in the local neighborhood, the community is all alert to what's going on and so there is a it's really difficult to separate sometimes the notion of how you respond to these beheadings or how you respond to a perpetrator that kidnaps a small child and does horrific things and at the same time live from this place of the open heart that is a very difficult thing to balance it's very very difficult to balance uh and, and uh, well, as I point out, we all have to find that balancing point. But uh, I think what is the most important thing to do is not to let uh, ourselves to be run by what I call the false self, where we are reacting in an unconscious way. We should really feel within having the connection to our true self, where we feel this warmth in our heart, compassion, and, and so we are really focused from that aspect as we respond. And, 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 and then we will try to actually respond in what would be the optimum, most loving way towards the world. And a loving way, of course, means that we don't allow uh, horrible things to happen, but how we respond with it has to come from the wisdom within, from that loving space, not from when we are stressed out or upset or something. We need to come from that calm, loving space. Right. Now, I want to flesh out with you uh, in our next hour this false self and and how the unconscious coming from the unconscious seems to be where most of us live. In. But before we get to that, I, I want to ask you, you know, organized religion has rightly been accused of killing more people in the name of religion than all other wars combined. It would seem to many that this sort of nonsense, this sort of exclusivism, uh, exclusivism, if you will, I have the only right way stuff, is still what's killing and beheading. So how does, in your view, how does spirituality per se differ from classical religion? I think that all the spiritual teachers, as I also uh, connect very much in my book, had, had a, was telling a very truthful story. Uh, but what's happened is that um, uh, people surrounding these spiritual teachers and, and over time have been coming out of their own false self. And, and and they then trying to gain or 
or you or get or gain power or have personal gains or many different aspects that comes from the false self that has created more of the organized religion. However, you know, in all of the organized religions, there are going to be a core of a very beautiful message. And what is very important for people who are attracted to any type of, of religion that is more formal or try, trying to say that what this is the right way is to really ask the question, um, what is the core part? What was the pure teaching? Uh, not so much about how we are practicing the religion or 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 what we are what sort of um, what we have to do or not do really look for for what was the core teaching and that, that is usually can be written down on a page or two and you will all always find that this is truly inspiring very beautiful and so on and that is what we should focus on so well said i mean the question would be then uh would Jesus lead the Christian Crusades? Uh, so, it, very well said. All right. Uh, too short a time to really ask you another question, so I'm just going to get us into a break. When we come back, I do want to talk to you. Let's, let's unpack this notion of uh, the false self. If you'd like to know more about Professor Nielsen and his work and book, check out the links on provocativeenlightenment.com. I tell you that Personally, this is just a, a great read. It is a book you will want to read if spirituality is important to you and if you would like to find the balance in your life that we have been discussing. We have a video of our guest that will be shown in the chat room during the break, so if you're already not there, now is the time to get on over there and join the fun. Just go to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. We'll be right back. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment with Elton Taylor. What is one thing you wish you could change about yourself? What if you could make that change happen with the click of a button? With InnerTalk, Elton Taylor's patented and scientifically proven and effective technology, change begins to happen the moment you hit play. InnerTalk works by priming how you talk to yourself and when your inner self-talk aligns with your outer goals. Anything becomes possible. Visit www.innertalk.com to find your towel today. Thank you for joining us today. I will be presenting at the Hay House I Can Do It conference in Pasadena on October 25th, and I would love for you to join me. The I Can Do It conferences are always worth attending, and many of your favorite authors will be there as well. So plan to make a weekend out of it and reserve your tickets today by going to hayhouse.com, I Can Do It 2014 Pasadena. I look forward to meeting you in person. We were all ensconced in the incredibly mellifluous sounds of the waterless crystal music glasses. Now you can own this music for yourself. Bruce and Sandy Tweedy have created two wonderful CDs. Visit their site and get your copies today. Just go to brucetweedy.com. That's B-R-U-C-E-T-W-E-E-D-Y.com. Brucetweedy.com. If you're new to this show, you may enjoy our archives. You can find more than five years of archives at our site, ProvocativeEnlightenment.com. 
During that time, we have interviewed Hollywood greats, politicians, psychics, CIA personnel, heart scientists, religious leaders, skeptics, mathematicians, philosophers, social psychologists, best-selling authors, channels, mediums, and more. We have charted the waters of health and wellness, parapsychology, psychic phenomena, UFOs, NDEs, physics, psychology, criminology, neuromarketing, brainwashing, and still more. If any of that sounds like your kind of radio, check out our archives again at ProvocativeEnlightenment.com. Be sure to subscribe to our free newsletter while you're there. It's not your fault until you know better. Self-defeating, self-sabotaging thoughts can be eliminated. It may be difficult to accept, but the fact is, magnetic resonance imaging shows us that your subconscious mind makes almost all of your decisions, while your conscious mind makes up reasons to explain your choices. In order to rid yourself of those self-defeating thoughts and ideas, the fear and doubt that can hold you back, you must change the way you talk to yourself. Nothing does this faster or better than our patented InnerTalk technology. Scientifically proven effective in the most rigorous of scientific studies, InnerTalk has repeatedly been demonstrated effective. Change has never been easier. Now you can improve your life almost automatically by rewriting the scripts hidden away in your subconscious. Guaranteed to work. No reason to wait. So don't delay. Go to InnerTalk.com today. Hello again. Think for a moment on the tragic injuries so many of our servicemen and women suffer as they battle insurgents and terrorists in current world conflicts. We may all wish that there were no conflicts in the world, no one intent on doing us harm, but the reality is that our brave men and women risk life and limb to ensure that we can go on with our lives just as normal here at home. These brave ones have offered their all for us, and their selfless spirit inspires me to ask everyone to give themselves. I'm speaking of the Wounded Warrior Project. Ravinder and I support this great cause, and we would urge you to do the same. Your small gift can make a huge difference. You can make that tax-free donation by going to WoundedWarriorProject.org. Thank you. Whether you catch our show on CTR or 12radio.com or bto.net and or bbs.com, we want you to know that we appreciate you. Thank you for listening. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor.
Welcome back. If you're just joining us, we're chatting with Professor Anders Nilsson about his truly inspirational book, The Gentle Way of the Heart. Now, Professor Nilsson, we just played your second musical choice. My wife lights all up when she listens to Enya. Enya, only time. So please tell us, how and why is this music meaningful to you, sir? It was a very, very special time when I, when I moved to, to California in, in, in 1994. And uh, this was um, actually the album I got when I just moved in into my apartment where I had a, a beautiful view over the Bay Area, seeing San Francisco Golden Gate, and I was sitting there watching the sunset and listening to this music. And uh, so it was um, at, the, at the time of my own self-discovery journey, and I, I, and I thought this was very appropriate for the program. Indeed, indeed. All right, before the break, I promised that we would uh, flesh out, unpack the idea of... Uh, the false self, and uh, what you referred to as the unconscious way. Um, You talk, indeed, you have an entire chapter dedicated to choices. And, uh, you know, one of anytime somebody writes something about choices, it gets my attention because my best, my time's bestseller is called Choices and Illusions. And I spent a good deal of time looking at, you know, what functional magnetic resonance imaging shows us and how 90% of our choices are made in the unconscious and uh, how an MRI tech can literally know what you're going to decide to do on average six seconds before you know yourself when you're given these simple little, you know, I have a button in my right hand, a button in my left hand, and I'm, do I choose A or do I choose B? Watching the brain lifetime, they'll know what we're going to do, what we're going to decide on average, six seconds before we know. So you're familiar with this whole question about the mirage of free will. Is there free will? Is there not free will? Is this a, you know, is everything determined? Uh, and so on and so forth. In in you in your book, you define choices as existing between the false self and a real self. In light of how the subconscious work? I'd like to have you unpack that for us, Professor. Yeah, first of all, the choices for me, I should also explain that choices is actually how our life unfolds. Uh, we are making choices all the time, and, and from that, our life is taking a certain direction. Um, of course, we are making a lot of choices automatically, uh, uh, often we might be hungry, we want to eat something, and so on. We have these type of choices that we make. But we also make choices uh, when we are maybe responding to a certain event. Um, let's say you would have um, someone coming in into your office at work, and, and, uh, and they're giving a little bit critique of some of your work. And, and in that moment, um, you, could, you could feel hurt, uh, and then you might respond uh, with anger, let's say, to, to the person who gets upset. Uh, and that might be that that um, you are responding a little bit what I call the false self, because you might have uh, some pain that was creating in, in your childhood, um, where you might have a hostile parent that uh, criticizes you a lot, and, and, and you sort of build up. Uh, this pain that was never resolved uh, because you felt that you were not being loved. 
you 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 felt not loved, uh, and that was way way too painful for you. Um, so your false self, therefore, might be very much about protecting yourself, not being criticised. Uh, and I know this is talking about a little bit my own experience. Um, so you might you might in that in that situation uh, respond immediately to that person that is uh, criticising you, or as I also talk about that, you, you, you might feel the urge to respond in that way, but you actually don't go into it. You don't allow the, that choice to be made. You actually take a little step back and you take maybe a few breaths. And, and, and you recognize within yourself there is this urge to respond in a certain way, uh, but instead you actually go into finding that link within to your true self. And from your true self, you might say, ah, this is a little bit hurtful and so on, but I am not going to respond to this at this moment. I'm going to look at this critique carefully, and, uh, and maybe it will be useful for me. And you might have a very different way how you act out on that. That's how I... Uh, actually put forward a little bit the choices we can make, we can sort of, how we maneuver our life, we we could actually become a little bit more aware of how we are feeling within ourselves and how we are going to respond because we would know that if we are acting or making a choice out of anger, out of stress, out of frustration, it would not come from our true self. But if we are making the choice instead where we are feeling this connection to our to within uh, with the warmness in our behind our chest feeling that connection deeply to our true self uh, we might make a choice that actually has more of, of, a, of a loving um, going more forward in a loving way you know I, I suggest to people very often that uh, it's it's really important to listen to how they talk to themselves, you know, what that stream of consciousness uh, uh, is saying, because it will disclose, you know, things to us. And, and that always leads to a kind of mindfulness training where we do try to, uh, well, let's just use your example. Uh, if we've had a parent that has been overly... Um, critical of us that we were never able to satisfy you know the the superego kind of parent then um we're likely to respond as you say you know uh, uh we're not going to welcome criticism let's put it that way but by becoming mindful we can alert ourselves to this and we can begin to rewrite re-script reframe how we view the world my question to you, sir, is how do you teach people to do that? I, I, I teach them um, in, in the gentle way of the heart, which is actually in the title, is, is sort of having a gentle approach to, to things and also to ourselves. And, and the approach is really to, um, to, to really sink in the number one, I call it the, the first step, which is actually one of the chapters in the book, is to to start to explore what I call beingness. Beingness is 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 the foundation of of actually uh, being 
a divine spirit having a, a human body. And, and the beingness is when we, when we realize that we don't need to do anything, we don't need to be anyone, and so on, and we still exist. And it's really the sensation that we exist. That is what I call beingness. So that's number the, the first step is, like is chip, to really establish that 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 sensation that we exist, which actually should be the most simple thing we can do because we don't need to do anything, we don't need to be anything. We just exist. Um, that's the number one step. The second step is to really find these warms warms in our chest, feeling that little resonance that we call the heart. And I, I listened to your opening of this show talking about the heart, and, and for me the heart is actually the love within, is a manifestation, and I can speak a little bit more about that later, thinking about also how you open the show. Um, so it's, it's really connecting to that warmth. Um, and, and from that warmth we could we could imagine that we have um, and it's more a metaphor, it's some, not, not anything we can measure as a physical measurement, but as a metaphor uh, that we have a light that actually is, is that warmth. And, is... and we can see, see that light emanating in our body and, and to other people. So we, we, we try to work on these two aspects, that we sensation of existing and, and having that warmth and, and uh, reminding us and connecting to that as much as we can in the in the day in our daily life, and in particularly when we are feeling that urge that is coming up of of uh, the false self taking over, then we go there immediately. Okay, uh, I, w- I want to unpack what you just said. Uh, the love within is what the heart is. But, bef- but before we do that, I think it might be appropriate to look at this question. I mean, you've written about fear, and, and you and, and I've written a fair amount about fear, but you you use fear as a searchlight for more love. And, and I find that idea really intriguing. So, you know, share with our audience what you mean by using fear as a searchlight for love. Um, I, I define love as when we have no barriers to anything. Love is when we bring things together. So f- fear, when we have um, a reaction of fear, it's a little bit like we are, we are putting up a wall. Uh, we are disconnecting. We want to run away. Uh, so f- in, in that sense, fear is becoming the opposite of light. So I, 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 I made a metaphor what I call a container, that we are like, like having a container, and inside in the, is the container is the love that we can hold for ourselves and for other people. And the container world, the, the, the wall of the container is keeping us contained. So as we are sort of hitting the wall, we are experiencing fear, um, and that is preventing us to actually, in that sense, have more love in our life. But if we want to expand and bring in more life, love in our life, we need actually to move the container wall. And therefore, we need to find the container wall, which actually is to find the fear. So when we are experience fear, which fear that is not directly connected to a threat in the present moment of, of, of something, but more connected to uh, what I call imaginary fear related to 
past events that we still have some pain within. We are worried about things or we are worried about the future or we have uh, having this response, as I just gave the example of uh, being criticized. Um, we actually could recognize that, wow, there is actually an area in, within myself uh, where I don't ha- haven't filled uh, with with more love, with love, and and I'm actually making myself to be contained. I have this fearful reaction. Maybe I shouldn't run away from the fear, but I should approach it. That will give me an opportunity to actually transform that fear, so I can actually have more love in life. So. I should I should look for where I'm actually having a fearful reaction uh, because that is the next opportunity for me to grow and bring in more love in my life. And then, and I love that metaphor. It's very powerful. So, okay, let's return then to what you were saying we could talk about later in the show, the role of the heart, the love within. Flush that out for us. <clears throat> so so I have in, 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 in one of the chapters, I... I, I describe um, what I call uh, unite with the divine, and it's actually to to look at love, and I and I call love uh, that we could sort of look at it from from three different perspectives. The first one is the concept of love, and the concept of love is the perception of truth, and that's a little bit where how we are perceiving the truth, which is. Uh, really looking at things from many, many different directions. And I make a metaphor in the book, what I call the mountain of truth, that on the peak, you can see the all-encompassing truth from all different viewpoints. Uh, but often we slide down the mountain and are only seeing one side of the mountain. And the further we slide down, the more far away we are from the other side. So the other side might be different viewpoints, different perspectives, uh, could be being in one religion, being in only in art or philosophy or science or whatever it is, but it's to seek this, this, um, this encompassing truth from many, many different directions, which I then call the concept of love. Then we have the feeling of love, which is what I call compassion. Where we have a, we have a resonance where we feel together with other people. That is the feeling of love, where we are connecting through the feeling. And the third, so to speak, manifestation or, or of love is the experience of love. And the experience of love is when we are experiencing oneness, so to speak, and we are doing that how we are sort of moving or energetically experience the world. And, and we are, um, when we are having an experience of love, we are feeling that we are not alone, but we are moving together with the universe. We are sort of uh, not moving as an isolated person, but we are moving together. And, and I think many people are experiencing that without actually thinking in that way, which is sometimes why we enjoy a lot of playing sports or, or or in performing arts and so on, because that's when we are actually having that often that type of experience. Um, so these are these are the three um, projections we can say of love, so to speak, where where you you, you can say that the the concept of love 
and the feeling of love you, you could put as the mind and the heart working together in some way. But we also have the experience of love, which is a little bit how we move around in the world, so to speak, uh, which, which then brings uh, mind, heart and movement all together. Mind, heart, and life. Mind, heart, and movement. That's in I, my my notes. Called it mind, heart, and life. Yeah, and I love your metaphor of the mountain of truth. Uh, I think the metaphor of the, the of the elephant, the trunk, and the tail. Um, everybody has heard that. But you know, the idea that the more I might pursue something I'm passionate about is the further down the mountain I would go. And therefore, the further I would get from somebody else's perspective, that's a very powerful metaphor. And it's also applicable to what happens very often in our professional lives. Uh, as you indicated, you know, if you're the scientist and, and the physicist, um, you're going to look at things differently than the, the social psychologist. And, uh, and the further that we can get into our own discipline, sometimes the the further away we get from what truth is, my own thought. Yes, and that's, of course, where, where, where there is a lot of difficulties between people because they can't understand each other. Right, and, and that's the power in your metaphor. I have a friend, neurosurgeon, uh, who used to argue that life was a dream. You, you treat that in your book. After many years of spiritual work today, he changed his mind. I, it, straightforward in your view is life a dream a dream within a dream or what i think we have to be of course aware of it but we can only make this, this metaphor of some some sort because how, how we really are experience life and so on we don't have a language really to put for it so we, we have to make a metaphor and and one metaphor that i used in the book is a little bit uh, like we are experience um, the world like a dream and, and the purpose of that metaphor is really to um, to not take things that happen to us or how we experience uh, our reality too personal, uh, where we are, so we can go more into accepting what is happening uh, with us. So I think to to work with a metaphor like the life is a dream um, uh, can actually help us. In, in going into this uh, more ac- acceptance of of, uh, of our reality and uh, what is happening with us in our life, um, how it exactly works out is something we might all of us might actually find out one day. Uh, but for the time being, I think we just should keep this as a metaphor. I agree with that. Keep it as a metaphor. Uh, your teachings culminate culminate in the idea that we're all one, and I've heard you say that more than once. So, I, and I want to kind of flesh that out. It, if I read you correctly, we're not one in the sense that we're all brothers and sisters, uh, but we're more, you know, one in the sense of the proverbial drop of water that's been removed from the ocean uh, that disappears when it's returned. Uh, is that how you see us as one? Exactly what do you mean by one? I have a metaphor in, in the book about the tree. And I think that is my 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 personal choice how, how how to explain that. So if we think about the tree, we, we have leaves on the tree on each branches. And we can view each of us uh, in this metaphor as a leaf. Um, and the leaf 
is not disconnected from the tree, it's actually sitting with the stem to the branch. And, and that is, we can call that stem, is actually the, the connection to our divine self, our divinity, that is then going into the branch. And uh, the deeper we go into the tree, uh, the more we are going deeper and deeper into a bigger branch, and, and eventually down into the trunk, where we are connected actually with the whole tree. So as we are going on our spiritual journey, and, and we are connecting more and more within, uh, we are going deeper and deeper into this tree, and then we are also getting also the sensation of being connected with more and more of other people, uh, with the world, with the universe, and eventually to everything that exists. But we are at the same time also the leaf, because we have a body, we have a personality, and we live a life as the leaf. And we are therefore having this coexistence, so to speak, of uh, living a life as the perspective of that leaf and, and looking at the other leaves, leaves so, so, so to speak, around in the tree, at the same time as we can have that connection uh, through the stem of the whole tree, which is then feeling our divine origin and how we are connected with everything. Interesting. And, of course, all trees now, research shows us, uh, they share, they talk. So I guess using your metaphor um, and being familiar with traditions that are spiritual in nature, um, do we, you know, are there... Are there more than one dimensions in which this takes place? That would be the term in physics. Are there more than one? Uh, is there more than one creator, more than one tree in which we're hung on? How do you see that? I would say then that uh, if I go on with this metaphor, I think I actually wrote that, uh, but I took it out. But if I go on with that metaphor, the, the tree has roots going in, and it's connected with other roots in other trees and so on. So everything is eventually fully connected in the network, and nothing is separate. So you, you, can, you, can, you can view it, it goes on forever, so to speak, how, how things are, are connected. And um, uh, that's how I, how I see it, so to speak. Um, but, of course, I'm a leaf in, in this tree, and I can only connect and get uh, my sense of uh, deep spiritual connection going down from my leaf into the tree. And it's just how far I can go and how much perception I can pick up on that journey uh, is to only some extent. And, 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 uh, and this, as I said, will go on forever. And as we as the spiritual beings evolve and we get more information and more understanding, we will dig deeper and deeper into this and, and, and uh, we might eventually have to develop other type of metaphors to explain this. So it's a story that is ongoing. Right, and, and these metaphors, uh, you correct me if I'm wrong, but they, they take on a rather Buddhist flavor. Is, is that fair? Is that accurate? I mean, it would seem that there's a good deal of Buddhist preference here, and Buddhism is atheistic. Uh, so, in in this total connection, um, is, is there what? Is there a creator in your view? I I, I actually think that um, many some other people have said, and and also my own view is actually is also very mystical. I tell you what, I, we we have ten seconds before a break, so we're gonna we're gonna leave everybody in suspense on that one. When yeah. we come back, you're gonna tell us 
your view of whether or not there is, you know, all right, a creator. Uh, we want to thank all of you for tuning in today. We hope you're enjoying our show. Be sure to check out the gentle way of the heart. I love how Professor Nelson teaches Nelson teaches us to use fear as a searchlight for more love. Uh, that's an incredible message that we should all pay some very close attention to. All right, we'll be back after paying some bills. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment with Elton Taylor. The praise for Eldon Taylor's New York Times best-selling book, Choices and Illusions, continues to mount. John Edwards said this about choices. Read this book. We are living at a time when people are searching for answers to fundamental questions in their lives. This book can be, if applied, a roadmap to personal enlightenment and empowerment. More important, it helps you see that you can manifest change. Joan Borisenko had this to say. Choices and Illusions is a smart, practical book by a grand master of the mind. If you want to get out of the box of your own thinking and touch a greater reality, Eldon Taylor can show you how. Lindsay Wagner had this to say. Enjoy the journey. I did. Get your copy today online or at fine bookstores everywhere. There's a hidden secret in the Northwest. Well, it's not really a secret, but it's not very well known either. Eldon and Vendor discovered the neatest bookstore in Sandpoint, Idaho. The store is called Zero Point Crystal, and when you enter the premises, you face a six-foot-tall quartz crystal that gives off an unbelievable radiance. Books, music, gemstones, lapidary specialties, singing bowls from Tibet, essential oils, and so much more fill this special sanctuary. If you're in the area, be sure to check them out. If not, visit their website at www.zeropointcrystals.com. You won't be sorry you did. The great courses cover a broad array of university-level disciplines. The lectures in each course are either 30 or 45 minutes long. By listening for less than an hour a day, you can finish even the longest course in just weeks. Browse our catalog or website at thegreatcourses.com and imagine how much you could learn if you spent just 30 minutes a day for the next year in the best college classrooms in the world. The lecturers are university professors carefully selected by the great courses and its customers for intellectual distinction and teaching excellence. If you haven't yet read Mind Programming, you're in for a real awakening. Like the red pill, ignore the book at your own peril. Here's what author Angelina Hart had to say about the book. Mind Programming is a brilliant expose on how we've become unconsciously enslaved to that which we haven't understood. Eldon Taylor exposes and explodes the old world view of fear and lack that has generated direct and indirect manipulation of our minds without our awareness or permission. With well-earned insight, he offers proven pathways of self-empowerment that entrain our consciousness towards the model of unity and abundance that negates the survival paradigm. In a period when fear has reached a frenzied pitch, Taylor shines a brilliant spotlight to dispel the darkness. Get your copy today at fine bookstores everywhere or online from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or Books A Million. Ravindra and I love supporting causes we believe in. 
We both feel the pain when we see an animal abused. Call it empathy or what you will, the pain is very real. We both also celebrate with joy the wonderful stories of animal rehabilitation. Indeed, it can be goosebump time. We urge you to get involved and lend aid to your local animal shelter or in the alternative, make your donations to the Humane Society of the United States. You can read about their work and make that donation by going to www.humanesociety.org. You can make a difference, but only if you act. Thank you. Hi, I'm Jen Reich, and you're listening to Provocative Enlightenment. Eldon offered me the opportunity to share this poem with you. It's called Mind Over Chatter. If I say I'm going to run a mile, I most likely will go too. For usually getting started is the hardest thing to do. And this can go for anything that calls for motivation. It first begins within the mind until we find our inspiration. Hi, I'm Eldon Taylor and you're listening to Provocative Enlightenment Radio. I'm so glad you could join me as we tackle those tough questions in search of the answers that really matter. But remember, this is a journey we are undertaking together, so I would love to hear your thoughts as well. Please send your comments to Eldon, that's E-L-D-O-N, at eldontaylor.com. You can also join in the conversation by joining me on Facebook at Dr. Eldon Taylor, that's D-R-E-L-D-O-N-T-A-Y-L-O-R. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. If you just joined us, we're speaking with Professor Anders Nilsson about his warm and engaging book, The Gentle Way of the Heart. Uh, we'll take your phone calls in this half hour, so if you have questions for our guests, either give us a call or submit your questions in our chat room. You know, I find music very powerful today. We see dementia patients and Alzheimer patients regain somehow magically memories and cognitive abilities when music of a given era or a certain meaning to them is played. 
That's why we ask our guests for meaningful music. We can get some true self-disclosure. Uh, we just played Imagine by John Lennon. What's the story with this one, Professor? Oh, it's always been a song that uh, I think has been quite remarkable. Um, the lyric is just um, very pure, and uh, I think we should hear it as often as we can. Uh, he's, he's actually coming forward with, uh, with some uh, very profound, uh, very simple words uh, that holds a lot of meaning and and also that, uh, as he said at the end here, <laughs> you, you might say I'm a dreaming, I'm not the only one, but if more of, these, more, more of us will dream this dream or think in this way, we will change the world. Amen. All right, you were about to tell us uh, before the break uh, your view of the origin of all of this. Is there a divine creator? Uh, I mean, is there a God? That's how it's uh, said, and I'll say God in the sense of like grand organizing designer, so, you know, uh, or, uh, you know, is is your belief, your view uh, more atheistic in a, in a Buddhist tradition? I think uh, eventually, all of this again becomes one. Uh, my, my view, if I if I go back to the metaphor of the tree, uh, you can call the tree itself the creator. Uh, or I I don't use that word in the book. I call it the divine, um, or, or or not using the word God because it has uh, has a lot of meaning for for people. Uh, they have uh, their mindset about it. But mm-hmm. so I I actually. Consider then that all of us have a divine spark, and actually we are, all of us, the creator. We are all of us the creator who actually are, experience our life, and is truly enjoying the experience of life, just like the leaf in the, one of the leaves in the tree, we are one of the leaves, but we are actually are part of the whole tree, and the whole tree is the divine. Uh, and, and, and of course, uh, nothing is separate, everything there, thereby becomes the divine. And, and, and that is also related a little bit to, to my story when I went swimming, where it said, I am everything, and I will reveal my true nature to humanity through water, but I am everything, and, and so to speak, everything that we actually have in this world and that we are seeing in this world you could you could imagine it a little bit if we use that metaphor. We have to be careful with it. It's a metaphor. It's a little bit like the divine is dreaming up, and the divine has experienced the dream through each of us. And the problem with the metaphor is the leaves fall from the tree, and sometimes they just rot. And um, <laughs> so, all right, listen. You know, you have a absolutely wonderful take. On the on the notion of sin in your book, and uh, before I before I go to the questions that you know our audience has for you, uh, I'd like you to share with everyone what uh, you know the the Christian idea of sin. What what is that? What does it really mean? My interpretation of it, which I have read, uh, that it might have been a little bit mistranslated. Uh, it's, 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 the translation might also be that you miss the mark, and, and my own uh, interpretation of, of missing the mark is that 
Um, sin is when you actually are acting out from your full self. Um, uh, then you are then you are living in sin. You miss the mark. You don't actually are acting out or viewing the world or viewing other people from your true self. Uh, so that's become sin. I also talk about repent. The word of that in 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 in, in how I interpret it in the gentle way is that you change your view from the false self to the true self. That is then repent. And then you no no longer live, so to speak, in sin, because you are actually uh, coming out from your true self. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go to the questions here. This very first question... I think you pretty well handled, but maybe I missed it. Maybe I had the advantage of reading your book, and so I'm reading into what you're saying. I'll just ask the question. Out of the chat room, Mark wants to know, I would like for him to, and that's you, of course, Professor, to accurately define what he means by true self and false self. So what I mean with true self is that if you strip off all of your, what you think is the identity, how you relate to the outside world or how you view yourself, and you really go down into the, what is your core of being. Um, when you are still in thoughts, uh, I think m- many people have experienced the true self many times in their life. Um, let's say you have, uh, you have walked up a hill and you are looking out over the view of the valley. And in that moment, you are just looking out and you are seeing something astonishing, beautiful. You have no thoughts in your head. You're just enjoying that experience. And you are feeling connected uh, to what you're seeing as you're seeing this as a beautiful uh, valley, a beautiful view. You are your true self. Um, when, when you are looking into the eyes of, a, of your loving partner and you're also having new thoughts, for the future, you're completely in the present moment, uh, and you're feeling this warmness and resonance uh, with who you're looking at. You are your true self. Or when you are touched by beautiful music, and 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 you're feeling goosebumps all over your body, you're just having this enormous experience. You are your true self. And so the true self is your sensation of you when you are fully aware and present. Uh, in, in, so to speak, the moment, and are not consumed by thoughts or worries about the future, or or having an emotional storm due to some events that happen um, during the day that might be more reflected to to pain. So, so, so the true self is is when you are actually feeling content and 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 remarkable, uh, a loving being. Uh, so the feeling of love is what is coming from your true self. The false self, on the other hand, is is something which is not necessarily anything bad. I can speak a little bit about that too, if we have time. We do, sure, but, please. Yeah, uh, but the false self is is something which, uh, w- when we when we sort of are forgetting our our our, we are sort of running away from our true self because we have pieces within 
but that hasn't been healed because we had experienced pain in our life, as a, usually as a child, but also later in life. And this pain was too, too intense. We couldn't handle it, and we shuffle it in, we hide it, and so on. And the false self is taking on its own life for us to avoid getting in contact with that pain. And, and, and it might be someone that is reminding you, uh, and you suddenly feel that, and you're trying to get away from it. Uh, and then the false self takes over, and that is when we become, we lose the awareness of the present moment. Um, we might be consumed with a lot of thoughts about the future. We are worried. I call it sometimes we have a radio narrator that is explaining our feelings within ourselves, and it just talks and talks and talks. That's usually also the false self. Um, so it's, it's really this distinction when we are very focused and present in the, in the moment and we are feeling this love, we are, we are our true self. And when we are frustrated, we are worried and so on, we have gone in, into the false self. Um, so let me tell you a little bit about the purpose of a false self, that, that, that is not necessarily something bad. And, and it's, it's a little bit like this, that we all enjoy going to the movies, Right. Right. If we would have a movie, um, watch a movie, or an experience a movie that will be only happiness, everything will be sm running around, you know, everything will go very smoothly, we would know exactly what's going to happen, uh, and so on, it will be a very boring movie. And it's a little bit the same with our true self and our divine, so to speak. If everything in our life would be perfect, what we think is perfect now, I just mentioned before, there is nothing like perfection, but um, everything will be go, going very smoothly. Um, so the purpose, a little bit, in my view, of the false self is like playing hide-and-seek with yourself. Um, often we get to experience ourselves on a, on a very deep level when we forgot who we truly are, and we forgot um, uh, the sensation of feeling love in our life. And when we discover that, when we, when, we, when we sort of return more home, we're getting to experience who we are. We get to experience the love, uh, particularly when we find love where we thought love could not exist. And, and, and so false self allows uh, us to actually play hide, hide and seek. And, and therefore the transformation of the false self back to the true, to, to experience the true self is really when we get to experience on a deep level who we are. A couple of questions, I guess I'm going to parse out of what you just said. The first one is, when you're talking about pain, you were talking about emotional pain, not physical pain per se. Is that correct? Yes, sir? I'm talking about emotional pain, yes. Okay, yes. all right. Because, I mean, we have had some hospice people that... Uh, have described patients who literally did with their physical pain um, what we what you talk about doing with music. They literally used it as a way of of connecting. They they moved so totally into it that it became uh, a place of peace for them. Um, all right. The I second, also I also believe yeah. that actually um, you can also uh, deal with quite a lot of physical pain in in, in this way too. Yeah, I agree totally. Uh, the second part that you know, uh, I've always thought that the false self gets kind of taught that way. But if I'm understanding you, 
Uh, there's more of a trickster using Jung's model here involved. We're created with a false self, and it's a part of a game, as opposed to, well, we come in and we would be perfect if we hadn't been kind of screwed up in the process of our enculturation. So have I got that right? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think that's a good way to say that we got screwed up. But that's part of the game, and part of the game is to actually discover who we are, and, and it's helping us to, to experience that discovery. Okay. Richard would like to know, what justification do you have for keeping science and this, whatever this is, as separate? If science is the practice of rational observation, why abandon that in any circumstance? Uh, the, the, the reason why I keep it separate is because um, I, uh, let, let me first actually uh, address it in, in the following, how I, how I view and work with my science as, as myself. Um, as I see it, our true self is not of this world. It is of the divine world, which is beyond time and space. Um, and our true self is getting to experience this world, a little bit as we made that metaphor of dreaming it, so to speak. And what science can do, which I think is so marvelous and wonderful, is really to study this, what I call the outer world, the physical world, that we are experienced, but we are not ourselves. We, of course, have a body, but that's part of having an experience of, of the physical world. So science is developing the tools for us to really study that and understand uh, our, our experience of this physical world. But the science doesn't have the tools to actually really study what I call the true self. Science can study the false self, and that's why we have a lot of psychology and therapies and, and all that, but not the true self. It's a little bit like we can uh, study and look at in a dream um, we can study what the person in the dream that we are we are obviously being, but we cannot study the dream itself, in, in my view, so to speak. Um, so, what what sometimes is happening when when people um, well, let let me take a little bit step back because I think the listener might want to know if if we can use the logic and so on uh, very much when we are also looking at the spirituality, and I would say. Both yes, but also no. And, and the reason for no is that we can use, we have to use logic, but we also need to have the connection within to our own, uh, to the heart and, and finding that resonance within ourselves. Because how we are sometimes feeling about things is also giving us a message. So we need to have logical and a, a feeling or emotional response to it. So we need to have both which I think is very important for spirituality. Professor Nielsen, you know, it's not uncommon for uh, a scientist who is willing to step out and uh, begin to speak about uh, the world as having a divine origin, uh, you know, uh, all of us being connected and so on and so forth, um, being punished by... Uh, universities uh, deprived of tenor, uh, scoffed at by peers, etc. Have you experienced that yourself? Um, well, yes, I have. Um, um, partly because some of my scientific work has been um, controversial, uh, particularly in my work on water. I stood up 
15 years ago and said what we thought about water and the molecular structure of water uh, needs to be refined, needs to change. And, and actually Science Magazine, as one of the prominent science journals, took some of our papers and made it as one of the top 10 discoveries of the year, and that created a storm in the scientific community that many people uh, was, was actually quite upset that we, we went out and tried to change something. Often science is very conservative. Um, and that has created a storm, and, and, and some people um, went out and even said that I, I'm also uh, connected with spirituality, and I'm, uh, I'm not a serious scientist, and so on. So I had a little bit of a witch hunt on, on myself, actually, for that, and, uh, which is one of the reasons why I'm very cautious about it. Okay, let's move on to the next question. Uh, what is the best way to experience God within? The kind, this is from Bonnie. What is the best way to experience God within the kind of confirmation that leads to inner peace? And that, I think, is uh, a little bit the roadmap I, I put out in the book. Um, as I talked about, first of all, to become very present in the moment. And, and I bring forward this concept of beingness, uh, which we talked a little bit earlier in the program to sink in, just to ask for the sensation to exist. Uh, and we sort of go down in becoming very grounded and, and in beingness. And then we seek the warmth in our heart and we imagine it as, as, as a light that's emanating through ourselves. And this is something that everybody has to find their own way to do, but I put, put so to speak, outline one way how I did it in the, in the book of of opening a portal in my chest as I was in in this sensation of existence, just feeling that and opening it up um, and uh, have an experience of what you can find within that um, and and imagine that this this is a metaphor for who I truly are. Uh, this light that is within that actually is beyond space and time. Um, um, but there is no simple recipe how to do this. I think it's just to practice uh, some of these steps. Um, there is exercises in the book. Uh, there are three exercises connected with each chapter, which is a little bit not only like meditation, but it's, it's also to practice in your daily life. Because um, to have this type of experience is also how your life brings you to that. Uh, the challenges you, you meet in the life and how you, how you handle it brings that concept, brings that experience also to you. Um, and, and, and it is really to, to have that sensation of warmness and also viewing other people, how we are connected with other people and how we are viewing our experience how we can accept what is happening in our life, how we can accept other people and how we can accept the past, which becomes forgiveness. Uh, all of that comes together when we are discovering, disca discovering more and more of our divinity and, and the sensation of having a spark of God within. It really is a excellent book, and it is full of... Uh meditations, uh, exercises that, uh, in my view, uh, should facilitate most people in getting to where they enjoy the same kind of experience that you're talking about, sir. 
Uh, we, we haven't got a lot of time left, but I do want everybody to be able to learn how to connect with you, uh, learn more about where they can get your book, any uh, new uh, workshops that you might have planned. So uh, do tell us. Uh, if you've got a website, what your website is and how our our audience could connect with you, sir. So the website will be up uh, hopefully next week. Um, I had hoped to have it up earlier, but my profession has taken <laughs> a lot of my energy. So it's gentleway.me. Gentleway.me is the website, and, and I will put up things, more more teachings there as well, and also uh, when I'm speaking and, and doing workshops, uh, will come up on the on the website as well. Uh, so that will be also a way to connect. There will be an, uh, an email address as well if someone wants to connect, contact me on that website. Okay, and, and again, the book is The Gentle Way of the Heart. You're catching this show. You're on the Internet. Listen, you are a click away from Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, Amazon, from getting the book, and it is a great book. I would highly recommend it. And Professor Nilsons, we absolutely have enjoyed the time that you have spent with us today. We appreciate you joining us. We've come to the end of another episode of Provocative Enlightenment, and I want to thank all of you out there for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed our show, and we'll join us again next week, same time and same place. And do tell your friends. Let's have them join us as well. And remember, if you have comments on our show, do please let us know. Okay? Until next time, wherever you are in the world, remember, believing in yourself always matters. Provocative Enlightenment has been brought to you by Progressive Awareness Research and other sponsors. Provocative Enlightenment is a syndicated show and appears on other networks. For a schedule of showtimes, visit ProvocativeEnlightenment.com. If you're interested in becoming a sponsor, write to Eldon at EldonTaylor.com.